This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our wonderful installment of The Power of the Parsha. This week we are going to try to plumb the depths of one of the most perplexing stories in the Jewish people's history. And I appreciate you all for being here. So before we get started, I want to say thank you to every one of you. You, the faithful, the loyal, the regular, the consistent, the wonderfully consistent, who come on every Thursday, even during this pandemic. Thank you all so much for coming on every week and being part of this wonderful Lunch and Learn. I want to thank you all. And I especially want to thank those who leave their cameras on so that I can always see that I'm talking to people. And it gives me the ability to, uh, to have the energy that is necessary for that. I also want to thank the amazing folk over at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for they are the ones who enable all this Torah that we study together. So uh, they are incredible. And if you want to see the recordings of this class, you can also find them at partnersdetroit.org slash learn, along with videos from many other of the great um, rabbis uh, and educators at, at Partners Detroit. I also want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. Guess what it is? Yeah, that's right. It's an app. It's a website. And it's got over 100,000 hours, 100,000 hours of incredible Torah knowledge that will just really inspire you to be a better human being and a happier human being. What could be not good about that? Like, What, what would possibly not be amazing about a website that has over 100,000 hours, all designed to do the same thing, inspire you to be a better, happier human being? I vote two thumbs up for Torah anytime. Anyway, I also want to let you know this is a very, very big piece of news here. This class, okay, is now going to be available, it's already available, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, you should be able to find this podcast. Yeah, that's right, we're going high tech. For those of you who like the Apple Podcast platform, if you're already here and you're like, but I want to hear it just once more or maybe just once or twice more or whatever it is, it's now available on Apple Podcasts under the name Burnham on the Parsha. Spotify as well. Burnham on the Parsha. You look it up and there we are. Okay? Burnham on the Parsha and it's very easy to use in terms of speeding up or slowing down. Okay. Now that we've got that out of the way. Let's move on to the next important thing we want to talk about today. The, <laughs> there was a crazy wedding. It was, it was, it was a really it was a weird wedding. Um, you know, the, <sighs> I don't know how to say this in a nice way, but like, I was a little concerned about the bride. Like, I felt like she might have like some self-esteem issues. Um... Um, she, yeah, she, she definitely, she, she had some self-esteem issues as, as you'll see later on, but like, I, I kind of always felt that she might've had some, some real issues there. And, um, I was at the wedding and, and the wedding was nice, but it was like, everyone was a little bit concerned. Like, it's like, how, how long is this going to last? I'm sure you've been at weddings in your life where you're, where you're thinking the same question, like, okay, they're getting married and we're going to go and we're going to give a present and we're going to dance and we're going to eat. But, mm, you know, at the wedding, some people, the, the, the more chutzpah people are like, uh, I give it four years, and I was like, two, you know, whatever it is. Like, people are taking the, the over and under bets. Um, so I, I was at this wedding, and there, were, there, was, there, was, uh, there were already some signs that, you know, there was going to be some challenges here and all that. Anyway, 
Um, at the end of the wedding, um, like so, the wedding was over. I happened to have still been there because it was out of town wedding, so it was like. It's like a destination wedding. So when you're at a destination wedding, people will come. You're not you're not flying in from out of town. You're not driving in from out of town and then leaving. You know after the first dance. You know so it's like you know uh, I, I was there and, and it was after the wedding and then um, the br- the bride went missing. The bride just went missing like after the wedding. Like boom, she was gone. Did my voice go off? Okay, we're good. Okay, yeah. So so the bride went missing. And um, everyone was a little bit nervous. People were re- like really looking in earnest to try to find her. Um, in the end, they they found the bride doing something inappropriate with um, with, with uh, like one of the uh, one of the staff, like one of the wait staff. And it was it was chaotic. It was a crazy scene. People didn't know what to do. Uh, it was it was it was, just, it was one of the most inappropriate and uncomfortable things I've ever lived through in my life. Um, and actually, when I, as, as I look at the Zoom right now, I realize that some of, some of you were there. Right? You guys remember this one? No, you don't? No, no, actually, wait a second. All of you were there. Every one of you were at, were at, was at this wedding. And everyone who's watching this later on Torah Anytime or on partnersdetroit.org slash learn or on Apple podcasts or on Spotify, you were all at that wedding because that wedding was Mount Sinai. At Mount Sinai, we married God and we were a people afflicted with some self-esteem issues, no question about it. We had just been through a very abusive situation. We had been abused for a couple hundred years at the hands of the Egyptians. So we had been through a lot of abuse and we had a lot of self-esteem issues and sure enough, at the end of the wedding, you know, Moshe goes up to go get the golden, the, the, not the golden tablets, the tablets, to get the luchos and the rest of the Torah. And by the time he comes down, the Jewish people are serving a different idol at the foot of the mountain. We're still at Mount Sinai. We're at the wedding hall. It was a destination wedding. It was in the middle of the desert. And we're still at the wedding hall. We're at Mount Sinai, and yet we're dancing around a golden calf, saying, Yisrael, these are your gods, O Israel, that took you out of Egypt. What in the world was going on over here? And if you think I made up this analogy myself, I didn't. The Gemara in Mesechta's Gitten. Perak Lamed, sorry, Daf Lamed Vavam Abayz, Gittin 36b says, Ul Amar Ula. How shameless is the bride to be disloyal under the chuppah, says Rav Murray, the son of Shmuel's daughter. What Pasuk refers to this? The Pasuk in Shira Shirim that says, Ad Shamelech Bimisibo, while the king still sat at the table. My spikenard, my, my fragrance, the perfume that I was wearing went bad. You know, sometimes you, you buy a perfume and you leave it for a long time and it goes bad after time. It just, it, it starts smelling bad. Little tidbit of ADD information about Lady Burnham. When I got married, I moved into an apartment on 1014 Nielsen Avenue in Far Rockaway, New York. 
And we bought it, we rented it right after another couple. There was an Orthodox couple that were living there before me. And uh, they moved out, we moved in. And the guy left behind a bit of men's, uh, men's fragrance. I think it's called Good Life by Davidoff, maybe, or something like that. And it's a high, it was, it was a very, very high quality fragrance. Now, we just, we kept it. He left it in the apartment. We came into the apartment. I called him, like, you want it? He's like, I'm gone. He, he, we moved out of town. I'm married over 18 years. It still smells good. Yeah, there we go. Just letting you know. Just letting you know. But that's high quality. That's high quality. If you look it up, I think, if I'm not mistaken, like, a bottle of that stuff is like, it's like $200. It's like, it's like the high level. It's not the, it's not the eau de toilette. You know what I'm saying? It's just the real deal. It's the real deal. Okay. Anyway, but if you buy the lower level stuff, you know, after you, you have it for a year, two years, suddenly you smell it like, whoa, what happened here? Right? So the Pasuk is referring to the Jewish people. We were at the table of our wedding with our king, with Hashem. And while the king was still at the table, while we were still at Sinai, near the Nasan Recho, my perfume went bad. Suddenly the Kala, the bride, the Jewish people, the entire Song of Songs, the Jewish people is referred to as this young bride. Suddenly, while we're still at the wedding table, the bride's perfume goes bad. While we're still sitting at Sinai, we already were disloyal to God. How could it be? How could the Jewish people, we were just taken out of Egypt. We had suffered so much. We were living such a depraved, debased life. And this guy comes in and he saves us. This, this guy, this God. This God comes in and he saves us. And what do we do? We turn around and stab him in the back. He gives us himself. The Torah is a little piece of God written on the tablets. The words Anochi, I am the Lord your God. The word Anochi, the sages tell us, stands for Anah, Nafshi, Kesavis, Yahavis. I'm taking my soul, I'm writing it down, and I'm giving it over to you. God gave himself to us, and what do we do? We're dancing around a golden calf. Forty days later, how do you understand this? So it is such a complicated thing to understand that I want to, I guess in line with what we did, was it two weeks ago or one week ago? Yeah, last week, we talked about Shivan Param Torah. There's many faces to the Torah. I want to go through a number of the various commentators on this, and we'll follow. Let's learn multiple approaches to the ego, okay? Let's learn multiple approaches. This is too important of a topic to not think deeply into it. You know, i got to tell you, somebody sent me a... Um, somebody recently sent me some um, material that was given to her grandson who's taking a class in biblical studies. And unfortunately, the person who's giving this class is an atheist. And he lets everybody know right on the beginning. And I'm like, it's so not fair to have a class on the Bible being taught by an atheist. You know what I'm saying? It's like, why don't we have a flat earther give the class? Why don't we have an anti-vaxxer give the classes at University of Michigan on public health. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't take an anti-vaxxer and have him give the classes on public health. So too, you ideally should not be having a guy who just doesn't believe in the Bible as the only person presenting the Bible. 
The Bible has been a, a, ta- a text that for millennia has been seen to be understood as the Word of God. And the only person teaching it in this class is the person who doesn't believe in God. So, so maybe you want to have a little more balanced. Maybe you have an atheist teach it alongside a deist, right? Meaning have a, a, a priest or a, a rabbi or whatever it is. But to have these college courses where the only person teaching it is an atheist is just, just absurd. It's just absurd, right? Here's a man who says, I believe this is just a ridiculous... Not, yeah, they do believe it's ridiculous. They believe it's racist and homophobic and bigoted and, and, and outdated and child abuse and everything bad. They have no value for the, the Bible. They think it's a horrible document. They study it as a, as a historical curiosity. And that's the person who's giving the class on it at the uh, University of Michigan, at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and, and at Bloomington, and at all, you know, wherever you go, at Madison, where, all these big, you know, University of Wisconsin, all the big schools. Who's teaching the Bible? People will tell you straight up in the beginning, I'm an atheist. Maybe you're the wrong guy. But he sends out, and this, this, this woman who's, uh, understandably, she, she's troubled by the fact that her grandson is being brainwashed by this guy. The problem is, he's a professor, and he has a, the name professor before his name, right? So he has the name, he's a doctor. He, he got a PhD in education or something like that. So he's a doctor, and he wants everybody to teach him like he's a, treat him like he's, you know, he's a professor, and he's a doctor, and he's a this, and he's a that. And, and at the end of the day, he's, he sends them these homework assignments, where he's basically, literally leading them down this path to say, oh yeah, this book, eh, it's impossible that it was written by God. It must have been written by a bunch of weird people, and they didn't even get their story straight, and there's an E and a P and I and a J and a, e and a Y and a D, and a redactor, of course. Somebody edited this whole thing. Yeah, right. Like somebody edited this thing and forgot to notice the glaring and obvious fact that there's contradictions all over the place, and there's seeming different voices. Like, it, it's amazing. It, it's, it's unreal. So the bottom line is, though, if you're presenting something to people for the first time and they don't understand it and they don't know about it, you could just make the whole thing look like it's just absurd. Let's understand the golden calf. If we just look at it and we don't delve deeply into it, we just read the text. It's so hard to understand. The Jewish people are standing at the the base of, of Mount Sinai and they were... Just given the Torah, God took them out of the land of Egypt. They were just given the Torah. And in the Ten Commandments, God said, do not have any other gods before me of gold and silver. And, and then we just went and served a golden calf. How do you understand this? So we've got to delve deeply into this. We can't just have this being handed out to us. We're like, oh, I don't know. I guess that's pretty crazy. It is a wild story, but it's not as crazy as it sounds. And we're going to find little hints of ourselves in the golden calf worshippers. I'm sorry if you'll end up being uncomfortable, but that is, uh, that's how it goes down. Because guess what? Humankind is ein chadash tachas Hashemesh. There's no, nothing new under the sun. We are who we are, okay? And humanity goes through the same styles, the same patterns of mistakes all the time. And if you think you're so much better than them, and you never would have fallen for what they were fallen, let's look into it a little bit more deeply. Okay, let's look at the parsha. First, we're going to read briefly uh, the story, and then we will try to understand it with the approaches of a number of the great sages. Okay, here we go. Mm-mm-mm. 
Wait a second. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Hold on a second. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go through a few approaches. Okay, okay. Let's go through a few approaches. Let's look it up. Hold on a second. Let me find it. Okay, here it is, the story. Parak Lamed Bays, chapter 32. Okay? Hi, I want you to let everybody know. Okay? It's okay. Alrighty. Exodus chapter 32. Vayar ha'am ki Moshe laredes minahar. And the people saw that Moshe was late in going down from the mountain. Vayikael ha'am al aharon. And the nation gathered up against Aaron. Vayomre love. And they said to him, Kum aselanu Elohim ashir yalchulafanenu. Please make for us, get up and make for us a God that will go before us. For this man who has led us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron and Aaron says to them, Aaron says, go take off the earrings from your women, from your wives' ears. Benechem, uh, your sons, your daughters, go get your women's jewelry and bring it to me, and we're going to make a golden statue. And they took off the earrings that were in their ears. Notice it doesn't say their wives' ears, it doesn't say their daughters' ears, it says they took off the gold that was in their ears. Okay? Um, and they gave it to Aaron. And he took it from their hands. And he fashioned it with a uh, with a uh, with the tools the proper the proper tools with a um, with a um, he, he bound it up in a cloth and he made it into into a uh, and he made it into a molten calf by and they said and they said these are your gods O Israel that have loved you led you up from the land of Egypt. Vayar Aaron and Aaron saw Vayivim his bech lefanav and he built a altar before him. Vayikra Aaron Vayomer Chag Lashem Machar, and he said to them, "We will make a festival to Hashem tomorrow." And sure enough, Vayashkimu Macharas the Jewish people got up early in the morning. Vayalu Olos and they brought uh, sacrifices. Vayagishu Shlamim they brought other kinds of sacrifices. Vayeshev Ha'am Lachol V'Shasov Vayakumulatzachek the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to mock. Okay. And God says to Moses, you go down, your people have done terrible things. They went away, they went away from the path that I taught them. They made a molten calf, and they're bowing down to it, and they're bringing sacrifices to it, and they're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from Egypt. And Moshe goes down, and he destroys the tablets, he throws down the tablets, and he grinds them up, and he makes, turns them, puts them into the water, and the people drink from the water. It's a whole, this is what goes down. Okay? How do we understand this? So let's go through a few of the commentaries. Commentary number one. The Kli Yakar. The Kli Yakar is a commentary 
who uh, his real name was Rabbi Shlomo Ephraim Ben Aaron Lunchitz. Again, Rabbi Shlomo Ephraim Ben Aaron Lunchitz, he lived from the year 1550 to the year 1619. He was a rabbi, he was a commentator, he wrote beautiful, um, like religious poetry, like, um, you know, uh, like, like uh, there's a lot of beautiful religious uh, poetry. It's like written in a very poetic uh, fashion. He, was, he wrote beautifully. He's best known for his commentary, the Kliakar, and he was the rabbi of Prague from 1604 until his death in 1619. Okay? Now, his approach to this is he lays the blame for the golden calf on a group known as the Erev Rav. Who is the Erev Rav? The Erev Rav is known as the mixed multitude. The mixed multitude. What were they mixed from? They were a mixture of various nations. When the Jewish people were leaving Egypt, they were leaving on such a high, right? They had been so incredibly successful at showing the world that God was right and that the Jewish people were right and that everybody, the Egyptians and everyone else who everybody thought was right was wrong. That there were so many people who wanted to join the Jewish people. There were so many people who wanted to join the Jewish people. And when they came up, you know, they, they, they were like sort of waiting. Can we come? And Moshe allowed them to join. Now, this is really important to remember. Again, Moshe allowed them to join. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that Hashem told Moshe to accept this mixed multitude of people to come and join the Jewish people. Right? Nowhere. It says, Vigam Erev Rav Allah Imahem. And a large multitude of peoples, a mixed multitude of peoples, went up with the Jewish people from Egypt. It doesn't say that God ever told Moshe to accept them. Moshe could have just as easily said, Excuse me, fellows, I, I appreciate your desire to be part of this group, but we were the people who suffered for all these years. We are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're not really part of our group. And you can uh, be supportive. You can be an ally. But you're not part of our group. And you, you're, you're, not, you're not in. You cannot come up with us. You can't. You know, it's like, it's like, it's a family vacation. And we're really sorry. We love you. You're awesome. And we like when you come over for Shabbos. And we, we like when you come over during the week sometimes even. Uh, but we, we, you can't come on family vacation with us. I'm sorry. We just, sometimes we just need a little alone time for the family. So that would be a very reasonable thing to say, right? So the Erev Rav, Moshe could have, and according to many opinions, and especially what we're seeing right over here, should have. He should have said, guys, I, I, I'm glad that you're inspired. You saw the Jewish God make Egypt into a, a joke. The most powerful empire in the world brought down to its knees. So yeah, of course you want to start joining us right now, but sorry, not appropriate. You can be a fan. You can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. We'll keep you updated. But you are not part of our family. You can't live in our house. You can't come into the desert with us. But Moshe didn't say that. Moshe felt that they were a big Kiddush Hashem. What a great sanctification of God's name. That so many people want to join the Jewish people. The problem is, when we allow people to join who don't have our history, who don't have our sacrifice, who don't have 
the difficulties that we went through to get to where we are, often they join, but they might end up distorting what Judaism really is. I'll give you an example. A guy that I know uh, was dating a a wonderful, beautiful, non-Jewish girl. And, uh, you know, he wanted to marry her, but his family was very against it. So they went through a, uh, you know, one of the uh, quick and easy, we'll call it, let's call it spade a spade, one of the quick and easy conversion programs. It was actually, you know, uh, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the quickest and the easiest, <laughs> right? But it was one of the quick and easy programs, you know, maybe a six-week course, a six-month course, whatever it was, and... And they take you to a supermarket, and they show you what kosher symbols look like, and they show you how to light Shabbos candles, and it's so pretty and so nice and all that. And they got married, and two years later, they have a Christmas tree in the house. Right? No, but it's just nice. It's really kind of like, it's a friendly thing. It's a family. No, that, that's, that's, that's not who we are. We don't celebrate Christmas. If you legitimately joined our people, you would say, I'm not going to bring into my house anymore a symbol of a religion that I walked away from. If you truly believe that Judaism is the true path and Christianity is the wrong one, you would leave your Christian symbols behind. But unfortunately, if it's just quick and easy, as they say, E-I-E-O. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Old MacDonald had a farm. E-I-E-O. Easy in. Easy out. Right? So, if you just jump into Judaism and it's a quick and easy process, and it's a six-week course, and you write a $1,000 check, and you dunk in the mikvah, mikvah, or even if it's a six-month course, but it's nice and easy, it doesn't really require you to change anything, it's just a whole cultural thing, because that's what Judaism is anyway, right? It's just a culture, right? So if that's one of the programs that you go through, then easy in, easy out. I know, by the way, and the funny thing is, the sad thing, not the funny thing. The rabbi who was in charge of this particular conversion class, he was telling me with such pride about this particular conversion class. He's like, yeah, we're in the middle of a class right now, a cohort, and it's, it's so serious, and everyone's so real about it, and da-da-da-da. And he, he pointed out to two people who were like the pride of the class. Mind you, they were both like typical blonde wasps looking to marry successful Jewish guys. I mean, it was like about as, t- t- you know, and ironically, one of them, like we said, had a Christmas tree in their house two years later, and the other one, unfortunately, her husband passed away, and she just left Judaism. You know why she left Judaism? Because E-I-E-O. Easy in, easy out. Now, the Erev Rav, Moshe accepted the Erev Rav in. Hashem was not into it. Hashem never gave Moshe the, re- the command to accept a mixed multitude. Moshe could have said, I'm really glad you guys have seen that Hashem is the proper God. Clearly, He's humbled Egypt. And you should probably start following the laws that Hashem has set up for all the people of the world. Judaism does not require anyone to be Jewish in order to get a place in the world to come. Judaism is the one religion. If you're you're a Christian, you believe that anybody who does not accept JC as their Lord and Savior gets ED, eternal damnation. But if you are a Jew, I don't believe that everybody who's not Jewish gets eternally in, 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 in Gehenna, in, 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 in damnation. No! There's seven laws that the Shiva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, the seven laws, you follow those seven laws, and you're good to go. 
You got a you got a place in the world to come. But Moshe decided to accept these people. Now these people were well versed in idolatry because it had been in their blood. You know how long? Forever. Right? The Jews in Egypt may have served idols, which they did. But let's remember that the Jews' grandparents didn't serve idols. The Jews' great-grandparents didn't serve idols. Right? Yaakov didn't serve any idols. His 12 children didn't serve any idols. Yaakov's father didn't serve idols. Avram didn't serve idols. The Jewish people had a long history of monotheism. And while granted, when they were living in Egypt, some of them succumbed and served idols, but it wasn't in their blood in the same way it was in the blood of the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav, the mixed multitude, they had idol worship in their blood forever and ever. They started it, and they drew the Jews in, which is why it's very dangerous to accept people into the Jewish religion if we don't know that they are 1,000% sincere and real, that they are taking upon themselves all the mitzvos. And before they get to get that conversion, we've got to know that they're doing everything. They're keeping all the mitzvot. They're keeping Shabbos. They're keeping kosher. And they've been doing it for so long that it's who they are now. A conversion should never be done to change somebody from who they are to who they're not now, you know, to, to, to a totally different person. It should change a person from who they've become to who, they are, who they've become with the st- added designation that now they're a Jew. The Abraham didn't have that. They didn't even have a six-week course. An eight-week, whatever. They just came out of Egypt. right? A six-month course. They may have had six weeks. They didn't even have a six-month course. They just joined the Jews. When the Jews were leaving Egypt, they're like, oh, those guys got it made. I'm going to join them. And they knew, by the way, that Moshe was their main advocate. And they probably knew that, oh, God doesn't really like me. You know, it's like you ever go to... When you were a kid, you used to go to someone's house. Like you knew the mom didn't like you, but like the kid really, really liked you. So you always made sure if you were in that house, you were trailing that kid in very close vicinity. You know what I'm saying? Because like he was your protector for being in that house. You know what I'm saying? So like the Erev knows the deal. They assume that God is not a big fan of theirs because they're not really sold fully on God just yet. But they know that Moshe took them in. The verse started off and says the people saw that Moshe was delayed in descending the mountain. Whenever the Torah uses the word ha'am, the people, it's referring to the lowest of the people. We'll see this in Numbers, chapter 11, verse 1, in, in, in Bamidbar, Yud Aleph Aleph, Vayi ha'am kemisonanim, and the people were looking to complain. Hashem, evil it was in the ears of Hashem. And we see again in the book of Exodus, what should I do to this people? That's in Exodus 17.4, before the eagle already. In the book of Jeremiah, wherever we see the word ha'am, the people, it's referring to the, the lowest of the people. Well, then in that case, what do you call the people when they're doing things well? Like, what do you call the Jewish people when they're doing it right? Then they're called Ami, my people. As God says, Shalaches Ami Vayavduni, send forth my people, and they will serve me. And in Micha, 
Hashem says to the people, Ami, and so many times throughout Tanakh, Hashem calls the people Ami, or Bini, my children. So when it says, Vayar Ha'am, that's our first clue, says the Kliyakar, that we're not referring to the regular people, we're, we're referring to the, to the lowest. Furthermore, when Hashem says to Moshe, go down, what was the language that Hashem says to Moshe? Vayedabra Hashem on Moshe, and Hashem speaks to Moshe, and He says, Lech raid, go down from Mount Sinai. Ki shiches amcha asher haleisam eretz mitzrayim. Your people. Amcha means your people. Hashem says, Moshe, remember those people? I didn't ask you to bring them. You wanted to bring them. Your people have messed up. The Erev Rav. Your mixed multitude that you wanted to accept in because you thought it was the right move. Oh, let's just make a big tent for Judaism. Let's just accept anybody in. Those people that you accepted, E-I-E-O. They were easy in and they're easy out. As soon as you weren't there, they got nervous and they're building a God. And sure enough, by the way, when Moshe comes back to plea on behalf of the Jewish people, Moshe says, Lama Hashem Yechara Hashem Ba'amecha. Moshe says, Why Hashem do you get angry at your people? Meaning, I get it if you're angry at my people, but why are you getting angry at your people? Right? Moshe's playing with the same distinction. Hashem says, Moshe, go down because your people messed up. And Moshe says back to Hashem, Okay, my people messed up, but Lama Hashem Yechara Abcha Ba'amecha, why are you getting angry at your people? The Jews, the non-Erev Rav people. Explains the Kliyakar, the Erev Rav were concerned. Because their protector was Moshe. The people saw that Moshe was late to come down, and they're like, uh-oh, that is our protector. We know that the only reason why we're here is because Moshe wanted us here. Probably God doesn't want us here. So we've been trying to tail as close to Moshe as possible, but he didn't come down. And furthermore, listen to this amazing idea that Kliyakar says. They thought that maybe Moshe had something over God. Maybe Moshe had some what we call in the political world's kompromat. Right? Maybe Moshe had a little bit of kompromat. He had some compromising material on God. And this way he was able, even though Hashem didn't really want the Erev Rav to come up, but... Moshe had a little bit of blackmail. You know what I'm saying? God, if uh, you know, something happens to my people, this, uh, the package is going out in the mail. It's not even in my hands. Yeah, it's not in my apartment. I'm just telling you, something happens to me, God, I disappear suddenly, right? I just get ill suddenly, and I die suddenly. I'm just telling you, there's being all that compromise is being mailed out to every newspaper outlet in the country. So, the Erev Rav assumed that Moshe had something over God, like some kind of thing. Because remember, they were idol worshippers. In their world, for the last thousands of years, the only things that had power, the only things they ascribed power to, were these various idols. So they assumed that Moshe had some kind of little getchka, some kind of little idol, that every time Hashem was like, get rid of those Erev Rav, and Moshe would be like, God, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm packing heat. Don't be telling me what to do. And that's why, look at the language. It says the people were nervous. And they said, 
Vayikahel ha'am al Aaron, and these people gathered against Aaron, Vayomer love, and they said to him, Kum ma'aseh Elohim, make for us a godlike figure, asher yeocho lufaneinu, that will go before us, kizem Moshe ish, asher alonu meretz mitzrayim, Moshe who took us out of Egypt, right? God may have taken you out of Egypt, but we knew who, took, we knew who butters our bread. Moshe butters our bread. So Moshe was the one who took us out of Egypt. Moshe asher ha'alunu meretz mitzrayim, lo yadanu mehayalo. The words lo yadanu mehayalo can be translated as we don't know what became of him. And indeed, that's how Art Scroll does. And they do a pretty good job. I like Art Scroll. But the words mehayalo in actual Hebrew translation means we don't know what he had. Mehayalo. Hayali uh, coffee. I had a coffee. Hayali buy it. I had a house. That's how you say that in Hebrew. They say, they say to Moshe, the Erev Rav says to Aaron, this Moshe who took us out of Egypt, right? God may have taken you guys out, but Moshe's our advocate. He's the one who took us out of Egypt. We don't know. What did he have over God? What kind of compromise did he have over God that every time God wanted us out of the picture, Moshe was like, God, remember? Yeah, I'm still carrying. Step back, God. These are my, I'm, I'm taking these people out. I don't care. So these Arab people, Moshe must have had some sort of very powerful God. I know the Jewish God is powerful, but maybe Moshe had some kind of little idol that was like God's kryptonite, right? <laughs> there we go, like God's kryptonite. So they need new kryptonite. Moshe had something over God because he could clearly impose his will upon God. We don't know what he had, so let's make a new kryptonite. Let's make some kind of golden calf that can... Force God's hand over here. And furthermore, the Medrash tells us that the Satan confused the, the people by showing them a vision of Moshe's, Moshe's body, Moshe's beer. B-I-E-R, not B-E-E-R, right? Moshe's, you know, uh, lying casket between heaven and earth, signifying that Moshe was what stood between them and God. So, and by the way, Aaron tried to stall. Aaron tried to stall the Jewish people. So Aaron sees, I've got this mob of Erevrav. They're trying to force me to make a god, an idol, because they're concerned, because Moshe was their protector, and now he's gone. Maybe God will kick them out, and they'll have to go back home. So they're going to try to now mess up the people. They're trying to force me to make a god. So according to the Kliyakar, of course, Aaron tried to stall. He said, go get me your wives' jewelries. He knew that the wives, he knew that the wives had deep faith. As we say, Amar of Avira and the Gemara, Bishar Nashim Tzidkanios, Shayu Bosa Adar, Nigulah Vosenu in Mitzrayim, the Gemara in Sota, Tractate Sota 11b, Yud Alphom and Beis, says that in the merit of righteous women, the Jewish people got out of Egypt. So, the f- women always had faith, even when the men were ready to give up on their faith. The women always had faith and always encouraged them to keep going forward. So he knew that the women would never fall for this and would never be willing to give up their jewelry for an idol. Mind you, when it came time to build the tabernacle, not only were the women willing to give up their jewelry, they were willing to give up their own mirrors. Right? A woman needs a mirror. you got to get it made up. It's very important for a woman to look beautiful, and that's okay. It's a good thing. A woman should look beautiful. So for a woman to give up her mirror is so incredibly powerful, but they did that for the right thing. When it came time to build the tabernacle, they were willing to give up 
They're, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're mirrors. But they were not willing to give up their... Hold on a second. Okay. Sorry. Did anything change on your screens? No? Okay, good. Anyway, but he knew the women who were faithful would not ever, God forbid, give up their jewelry for an idol. And of course, the men tried to get the jewelry from the women. They're like, no way, we're not giving it for an idol. Are you crazy? You're going to serve an idol now? So what happened? The men ended up, if you remember the verses, Aaron told them, get your wives' jewelry. They ended up giving up their own jewelry. Furthermore, Aaron had a plan to spend all this time slowly, slowly, slowly making an idol because he knew that Moshe was going to come down the next day. It was just a mistake in their calculations. Moshe said, I'll be down in 40 days. They started the 40 days from the day he went up. They were supposed to start the next morning because that day was not a complete day. So Aaron knew that Moshe was coming down the next day. So Aaron says, let me try to stall them as much as possible. But according to the Kliyakar, they used various forms of kishuf. They used various forms of black magic to make this idol pop out. And that's why in verse 20, it says that Moshe took the Egel, and Moshe took the calf that they made. It doesn't say that he made. If it was only Aaron who made it, it should be in Hebrew. They took the golden calf that Aaron made. But instead it says, That they made. Who's they? The Erev Rav, the mixed multitude that used all their black magic conjuring powers. I think I even know what they used. I think I know what their spell that they used was. For any of you who's a Harry Potter fan, it was Asio Golden Calf. All right, okay, okay. <laughs> okay, next. More proof, says the Kliakar. What does it say that they were saying around the golden calf? They were saying, Ela Elohecha Yisrael, Asher Ha'alucha Me'eretz Mitzrayim. These are your gods, O Israel, that took you out of the land of Egypt. Now, if it was the Israelites speaking, what they should have said is, "Are these are our gods that took us out of Egypt?" But that's not what they said. They said, "Ela Elohecha Yisrael, Asher Mitzrayim," which means these are your gods, O Israel, who took you out of the land of Egypt. This is the Erev Rav who made the golden calf, trying to hypnotize the Jewish people into believing this is your God. This is your God that took you out of Egypt. Follow the watch. Follow the watch, swinging back and forth slowly. You're falling into a deep sleep. This is your God that took you out of the land of Egypt, right? So they were literally trying to hypnotize the Jewish people and convince them that it was this golden calf that took them out. So again, the language all supports. It's amazing The Kliyakar has so many tidbits of information indicating that this was a coup. A coup d'etat. Or a coup de day. A coup d'etat means a takeover of the state. A coup de day means a takeover of the deity, of the God, right? It was an attempt to take over the God by the Erev this mixed multitude of people who should not have been with us in the first place. God never commanded them to be with us. They didn't have our history. They didn't have our long-suffering experience. They didn't have the great-grandparents and great-grandparents and great-grandparents before that who had been 
ardent monotheists in a world filled with polytheism. It was a bunch of people who were fair weather, you know, friends. When they saw the Jewish people were winning, they're like, okay, I'll go on that team. And E-I-E-O, easy in, easy out. As soon as Moshe, their protector, is gone, not only are they building a golden calf, but they're trying to convince the Jewish people, this is your God, O Israel, come here, O Israel, look, this is your God. Okay. Now, why did they use a calf, an ox? Because the Jewish people were unable to leave Egypt without the bones of Joseph. They had made a promise to Egypt and they literally physically could not leave the land of Egypt until they got the bones of Joseph. Joseph was compared to an ox. And when Yosef, when, um, when both Moshe and Yaakov give blessings to Yosef, Yaakov gives blessings to Yosef at the end of his life in Parshas Vayechi, right? And um, he refers to Yosef as an ox. Let's see it over here. Uh, Ben Paras Yosef, Ben Paras Aliyan, Benost Saada Ale Shor. A charming son is Joseph, a charming son to the eye. Girls would climb up on heights in order to gaze at the shore, at this ox. And we see the same thing by, uh, by Moshe, when Moshe refers to the tribe of Joseph. Bechor Shoro Hadarlo. So the Erev Rav knew that somehow the Jewish people couldn't get out without this ox, whatever this ox was. So they assume maybe this is something that has power over the Jewish people. So that's why they made this golden calf in the form of an ox. Okay, so there is opinion number one, the Kliyakar, on how and why the Jewish people served the golden calf. The answer was, it wasn't the Jewish people. And that's why, by the way, only about 3,000 of the Jewish people died, which is like about... 0.5%, one half of 1% of the Jewish menfolk, but when you take into them the entire Jewish populace, the women and the children as well, it was probably somewhere about less than two-tenths of 1%. So it's a tiny percent of the, Jew- the Jewish people actually served the golden calf. Mostly, it was the Erev Rav, it was the mixed multitude, the non-Jewish people who had not been part of our nation, who had not suffered along our nation, who didn't have the past history of serving God for generations, and they were the ones who were E-I-E-O, easy in, easy out. Next, the Or HaChaim. The Or HaChaim is Rabbi Chaim ben Moshe ibn Atar. Rabbi Chaim ben Moshe ibn Atar, also known as the Or HaChaim, after his popular commentary on Chumash, known as the Or HaChaim. He was a Talmudist and a Kabbalist, born in Mechanis, Morocco, in the year 1696, and died in Jerusalem. On uh, Well, Jerusalem, we don't say Israel, because it's disputed, but, you know, just Jerusalem. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know that for many years, people who were born in Jerusalem couldn't have Israel written on their passport. Okay, anyway, he was born in Mechanism, Morocco in 1696, and he was died in Jerusalem, Israel, Eretz Israel, on, on, in 1743. He was one of the most prominent rabbis to ever come out of Morocco. The Archim says, God forbid 
And the Jewish people were trying to replace their God. They didn't want a new God. They wanted something physical to be the force that would clear the way for them and make miracles on their behalf. Until now, they always had an intermediary. His name was Moshe. When it came time to free the Jews from Egypt, Moshe offered all the Jews, come up with me to the house of Pharaoh and we'll demand that he let you go. And indeed, many of the elders and many of the great sages of the time followed Moshe, but as they got closer and closer and closer to the house of the Pharaoh, they all got too scared. There were too many guards too many guard dogs and wild animals, and that's the way the Pharaoh used to surround his palace. And they just like, like, ah, uh, yeah, I just remember I put a casserole in the oven. I'm going to head back and make sure I get it before it burns. So all the great people, everybody turned around and left. And finally, when they got to the throne room of Pharaoh, it was just Moshe and Aram. So the Jewish sages many times had sort of backed away, backed away from. Uh, from serving and doing what they were supposed to do. They, they, they backed away. So, and Moshe was the one who got them out and did all the miracles, him and Aaron. When it came time, even at Mount Sinai, when God spoke to the Jewish people directly, according to our tradition, the first two commandments were said by God. The Lord, your God, who took you out of Egypt. And the second of the commandments, You shall not have any other gods. Those two commandments were said by God Himself. And each time He gave one of those commandments, the electricity in the air was so great, was so powerful, that the Jewish people were thrown back like 12 miles, and their bodies and souls separated out. Like their, their souls just got sucked out of their bodies. And, and they finally said, no, 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 Moshe, it's enough, it's enough. You, you talk. You be the intermediary. We can't have this direct relationship with God. It's too intense. So Moshe, you be the guy. It was last week's Torah portion we read about it. They always had an intermediary. And the Satan just showed them an image of, of Moshe dead in heaven. And what do they come? They come to Aaron and they say, Kum aselanu Elohim. Make for us an Elohim that will walk before us. This Moshe who took us out from Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Now, listen carefully. If you thought that just Moshe had something happened, you're like, Aaron, please make us a new Elohim because Moshe's gone. If you thought that Moshe was gone, why would you need a new God? Now the answer is that the word Elohim is used in the Torah sometimes to refer to as a judge or an intermediary. As a matter of fact, Hashem himself says to Moshe, I will make you an Elohim Lefaro. Let's read the Pasuk inside. Exodus chapter 7 verse 1. Shmos Zion Aleph Vayomar Hashem Moshe. And Hashem says to Moshe, Re'ei Nesaticha Elohim Lefaro. Behold, I will make you an Elohim Lefaro. I will make you a leader. I will make you a, a lord over Pharaoh. The Aaron Achicha And Aaron will be your speaker. So when they come to Moshe and they say, we want a new Elohim, they're not saying we want a new God. We just want a new physical intermediary because Moshe was our previous physical intermediary, who, by the way, God himself called an Elohim. Moshe's gone. 
So we need a new physical intermediary. So let's make a physical representation of God in this world. Now, of course, that's highly inappropriate. You're not allowed to make a physical representation of God in this world. That's exactly what God said in the Ten Commandments. Don't make any physical form of God. It's one of the we're just not, we're not allowed to do that. Instead of trying to bring God down into the physical, our job in this world is to climb up into the spiritual. Instead of dragging God down into the physical and making physical images of God, why don't we become us human beings become more godlike and become more spiritual? That's what we're supposed to do. So according to the Arachayim, the Jewish people were never trying to get a new God. If they were getting a new God, what does it mean when they say, this is the God that took you out of Egypt, right? They clearly know they just built this golden calf that day, the day before. You build a golden calf and then a day later you're like, oh look, this is the one who made it. That would be bizarre. That would be bizarre. But no, they, they weren't trying to create a new God. They were trying to make a physical representation of God to take the place of Moshe because Moshe was their sort of physical representation of God that they were able to use as their godly intermediary. And Moshe was gone. They were very afraid of dealing directly with God without a physical intermediary. They came to him when, when, when they were giving the Torah and it was just too intense. They came to God and said, we can't do this. We need an intermediary. That's what they said. Next. That is the Arachayim. Let's go to the Hamikdavar. The Hamikdavar is Rabbi Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, who was born in Mir, Russia, in the year 1816, and died in Warsaw, Poland, in the year 1893. He was also known as Reb Hirsch Leib Berlin, or more commonly known by the acronym Nitziv, which stands for Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin. He was a great rabbi. He was the Rosh Yeshiva of the Valazhin Yeshiva, and he's uh, the author of many great works of Torah, Hamikdavar, Hamikshayla. Listen to this amazing one, because this one is so powerful. It says the Hamikdavar, it was the poor self-esteem of the Jewish people that from the time they got out of Egypt, they couldn't believe that God really would take care of them. They just couldn't believe it. They, that's why they didn't want to go out. How often do they say, let's go back? Let's go back to Egypt. Now, if you ever worked, let's say a person, unfortunately, you, know, you have people who work with women who are victims of domestic violence. And it's an amazing thing. They keep going back. And they come into the emergency room and their face is all bruised up. And they say, yeah, it fell down the steps again. And when they get to the emergency room, the doctors, the nurses, everyone's telling them, like, listen, if your husband's beating you, just say a word. We'll have the police. He'll be arrested. You'll never have to worry again. We can protect you. You go to the bathroom in a hospital. In every hospital bathroom, there's a sign. Like, are you being abused? We can help. Like, everyone's trying to reach out to these poor women who are being abused and just say to them, don't worry, you can be safe with us. But they don't. They keep going back, unfortunately. Why do they keep going back? Because they have such low self-esteem that they believe that at the end of the day, no one's going to really accept them. And although my husband beats me, at least I know what I'm in for. And at least he he accepts me for who I am which is so, so sad to hear. But it's a reality. People get to a place where I don't believe that anybody would truly love me. So I'm just going to go back to the one place that at least I know what I'm going to get. 
Says the Hamikdaver. What a deep idea, which is exactly what the word Hamikdaver means. A deep thought, a deep thing. Says the Hamikdaver, the Jews can't believe that God will really love us. That God will really take care of us. And they keep wanting to go back to where they were abused. They keep wanting to go back to Egypt. We see this all the time. Again and again and again they say, Oh, if only we could go back to Egypt. If only we can go back to Egypt and die in Egypt. They even say that. Look at Exodus 16, before the golden calf even. When there was no, before the manna came down, there was no food. And the Jewish people say to Moses and Aaron, If only we could die with Hashem in the land of Egypt. It was good over there. We were sitting on a big pot of meat. We, were, we had it so good over there. Ah, the good old days in Egypt, we were eating so much bread and so much meat. Of course they weren't. They were eating matzah. They were eating just plain matzah. Lechem oni. Their children were being thrown in the rivers. But this is what they remember. And they say to Moshe and Aaron, you guys took us out here to kill us in this desert, to starve us to death. And now that Moshe's dead, They're finished. God won't love us. Moshe at least was able to get for us some stuff. Moshe might have loved us because he's sort of like one of us. He's like not really God. He's a person. And, you know, people can love people, flawed people, but God can't love us. So Moshe may have been able to, look, I mean, he, he was the one who brought down the mun. And he's the one who kind of arranged for us to get out. We didn't deserve to get out. And who won the war against Amalek? Moshe. Whenever he put up his hands, we won. When he put his hands down, they lost. And Moshe brought down the manna. And he's gone now. We've got nothing. Let's just go back to what we're comfortable with. Because God can't love me. I'm too messed up. There is no other life. There's no life on the other side of the rainbow. I'm just too unlovable. I'll go back to my abuser. Says the Hamagdavar, this is the root of all Avodazara. Avodazara, idol worship. And this is, let me tell you, you can all relate to this now. Idol worship is I don't have faith in myself. I don't have faith that God can love me. So therefore, if God won't take care of me because I'm unlovable by God, I'll take care of myself. What will take care of me? I'll make a lot of money, and that money will take care of me. I'll work out, I'll be very, very strong physically. Ugh, I'll pump iron. And be very, very strong so that my, my physical health will take care of me because God, God's not going to take care of me. Is that not idol, idol worship? Idol worship is when you think anything other than God is taking care of you. Whether it be an idol, whether it be, uh, 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 whether it be uh, money, whether it be your strong physical physique. Says the Hamagdavar, the root of all idol worship is I don't believe in my own self. I don't believe God could love me. I don't believe God will take care of me because I'm too unlovable, too unworthy of being taken care of. So let me take care of myself. And I'll have to take care of myself, whether it's through the money, through this thing I'm going to worship, this little you know, deity I'm going to put stuff in front of, or, or whatever it is. Because I'm not worthy of God's love. Next. 
Nachmanides says a very similar idea to the Arachayim. He says, they came to Aaron, They were not looking for a new God. They wanted a new version that would walk in front of them. They just wanted a, a, a tangible Moshe. Moshe was the middleman, and now Moshe, and, and that's why, what was Aaron's whole plan? Let me stall the Jewish people until tomorrow, and then they'll see Moshe come down. Right? Nachmanides points out, like, if, if they really wanted a new God, then Moshe coming down would mean nothing to them. But because they were only looking for like a new middleman, this Zeish Moshe, we don't know what happened to him, we need something new, Asher Yelchu Lefanenu, who will walk before us. Moshe was somebody that we could talk to, who was leading us, who we could physically see. God we can't see. And that's why Aaron's whole master plan was, let's keep the people waiting until tomorrow. As soon as Moshe comes back, all they're really trying to do is replace Moshe, and Moshe will be here, they won't need to replace him. And of course the proof of this, says Nachmanides, the Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben, Ma- ben Nachman, who lived from the years 1194 to 1270, born in Spain, and then eventually had to leave, sorry, excuse me. So Nachmanides says, the proof of this is that when Moshe came, he ground up the golden calf, and no one said boo. If they really believed the golden calf was their new god, would they accept that kind of affront? Moshe grinding up their new god? But the answer is, as soon as they saw Moshe, they're like, oh, wow. We were trying to replace Moshe with some kind of physical golden calf. Well, that didn't work. The Abarbanel, who some pronounce as the Abravanel, who lived from 1437 to 1508, he bases his approach on the Kuzari, and this is the last one we're going to do today. And he basically says at that time, everyone served idols. And the Jewish people were looking forward to the luchos, the tablets, and the golden ark. The golden ark, if you remember, had these, these cherubs, these beautiful um, statues on top that looked almost like idols. So the Jewish people were planning on having something physical they could worship. And when Moshe didn't come down with these luchos, these physical things, that they, could, they were planning on, on worshiping these golden tablets. Because in those days, everybody bowed down to something physical. Everybody, every nation in the world. So like they were planning on bowing down to these tablets, but then Moshe didn't come down with tablets. Okay, we'll build our own. And of course, Hashem said, you can't even create a physical representation of me, right? Even if the tablets are just a physical representation of God, you can't do that. So those are the different opinions. So we covered, again, we covered the Kliyakar, who gives a very, very convincing approach of saying that it was all the Erev Rav that was doing it, and he used so many grammatical proofs. We probably gave six or seven grammatical proofs, if not more, showing that that's what was going down. We had the Orachayim, who said that it was really just the people trying to create a... Uh, hold on a second. The Orachayim saying that they were trying to have something physical to be this, this go-between before them, the Hamek Davar, who talked about how it was the low self-esteem of the Jewish people that would not allow them to believe that God would take care of them, so they needed something physical to take care of them, and they thought Moshe was the one before, and now they need something else, because God can't possibly take care of me, because I'm not worthy of God's love. Nachmanides, who kind of is very similar to the Arachayim, and they were trying to replace Moshe, and the Abarbanel as well, was saying they wanted a physical representation of God, that's what they thought the Luchos were going to be, and now they didn't get it. And with that, we conclude understanding this difficult part. But I think the most important thing is that we can all relate to this, especially to the Hamak Davar. This idea that I don't 
really believe that God's going to take care of me, so I have to take care of me. And whatever it is that I install to take care of me instead of God, whether it be a big bank account or I work out a lot and I follow, I eat, take a lot of vitamins, whatever it is that I think is going to give me health, wealth, power, besides for God, that is an idol worshiping. And I do that mostly when I believe that I'm not worthy of God's love. And I think that's something we can all relate to. But let's remember that God loves us infinitely and he will continue to bestow his kindness upon us because he loves us so much and has so much faith in us. And we don't need any intermediaries. We can just go and talk to God and he'll take care of us. And with that, I will stop right recording right now. Thank you so much. Now. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.